not a new thought for probably any of you, but a thought that sometimes escapes our thinking. You ready for this? This is not profound. You probably won't even take this as a note, right? Uh, but it is a true statement. Now I have you really curious as to what that statement is. This is the statement. God is always up to something. Let that sink in. God is always up to something. He, he, is, he is up to something in our country. Right? Uh, he is up to something in our valley. He is up to something in our church. He is up to something in your life. God, like, never says, I'm really tired of you, Stoffer, I need a break. Always up to something. You know, as we started this series in the life of Elisha, uh, I always like to give you a memory verse, and I was like stumbling around to what the memory verse would be, and this week it came, right? I know we are like five weeks into the series, uh, but we'll be here through May. So you're getting a late start, but I'm giving you lots of time, right? And, and it's not even in Second Kings that I think we need to find ourselves. It is in Revelation, of all places, Revelation 21.5. So here's your memory verse in this series. I know the other ones are still fresh in your mind. You're ready to recite them, but I'm going to give you a new one this morning. Revelation uh, 21.5. It says this and he who was seated on the throne said behold i am making a few things new oh come on catch me no no listen, listen. behold i am making all things new also he said which just makes me chuckle you ready because this is me I, i'm going yeah you made all things new but i'm really not paying attention so he goes oh and write this down right for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, I kind of broke that up, but we're going to say it all together, right? Uh, here is a great memory verse, right, for this series. Where's it from? And it says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. You'll have it by next week. I know you will. Revelation uh, 21, 5. Listen, God was certainly up to something in the life of Elisha. And what he was up to was making things new. And that's why Revelation 21, 5 just resonates with me in this study. But it wasn't just making things new in the moment. He was making things new with a prophetic word. So we can look at the life of Elisha and we can see the miracles that he does and the way that he's prophesying, he's talking about restoration by restoring things in people's lives. But he's speaking prophetically, whether Elisha realized it or not, to a people who would later read these words. Both those people who are in exile who need to know that God is <laughs> making all things new, that God is really up to something, as well as to you and I who sit here this morning on February 7th, 
and that we would know that he is doing a work of restoration in our lives, that he is indeed making all things new. That God is up to something. You ready? 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. We continue in this story in Elisha. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open and or to turn in your electronic devices to find uh, these verses. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. It's not hard to see in this text, as in the other texts and the texts that we have yet to see in Elisha's life, that God is always up to something. Verse 8 of chapter 4 says, One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, meet Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say now to her, see you who have taken all this trouble for us, what is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, we'll call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time, next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, just as Elisha had said to her. May God help us in the understanding of his word and see that God is always up to something. Three thoughts this morning, they are this, a great woman, a greater problem, and the greatest God. A great woman, a greater problem, and the greatest God. First see this great woman. The Hebrew here um, that in the ESV is translated wealthy uh, actually is gadol. You, you wanted to come to church today to speak Hebrew, right? So on the count of three, gadol. One, two, three. Ah, see, now you've learned Hebrew. Hebrew, uh, gadol means not wealthy necessarily, but great. Gadol means great. Other translations of this in other places, the New American Standard uh, Version use, is uh, prominent. The New King James uses notable. Um, I like prominent and notable better than wealthy. Because the word there is that you are a woman of great influence, right? She is a great woman. And we see that in the course of the text. First, we learn that she's what? That she's hospitable, right? 
just like Annie Baker, right? If you, were, if you were rolling through town and you were hungry, you could stop in there and she would find something for you to eat. She'd give you soup tonight at the Super Bowl party, right? The reality is, is that th- this lady was on the road somewhere where Elisha often traveled. Uh, to the city, in the city, in the region of Shunem. And, and, and so he was often by there, but she often went out to meet him and say, why don't you come in and get a snack? Why don't you come for a meal? Why don't you have, have dinner? And so indeed he became used to going in and out of her house. She was a hospitable woman. She is a discerning woman. When she talks to her husband about Elisha, what does she call Elisha? She sees, this guy's a holy man. Like she had spiritual eyes that could see and know that this man was a man of God. And you have to understand, there's a lot of people walking this road. She's probably hospitable to many, many who even call themselves prophets of God. But she knows that something is different with Elisha. He is a holy man. She's discerning. She's a good wife. She didn't take up a, 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 you know, a hammer and nails and said, I don't care what my husband says, I'm building a room for this guy. What does she do? She goes first to her husband and says, hey, what do you think about building a room for this guy? She's a nice, submissive, great woman to her husband. And together, they have an opportunity to labor together. She is gracious. Indeed, she's gracious in providing not just a meal for Elisha, but in seeing Elisha and Gehazi often, she creates a room for him, puts a bed in it. And out of her probably prominent, notable wealth provides space for Elisha. You get it? She's a great woman. Also, she is content. Now, there's a really awkward conversation in this text, isn't there? So uh, Elisha stops in once with his servant Gehazi and says, hey, why don't you call the Shunammite woman? I want to ask her what it is that we can do for her. So she comes, and then he like speaks through Gehazi. It's really strange. I don't understand why. It's not a point in the sermon. It's a mystery in the text, right? But nonetheless, he says to her through Gehazi, listen, what can we do for you? I I know the king of Israel. We can, like, make your name really great. I I know the commander of the army. We can provide extra protection for you. And what does she say? Eh, I'm good. I I live in a land of my own people. I'm content with where I'm, I don't need the king to say anything nice about me. I don't need the commander of the army to protect me. I am good. I am content. She is a great woman. Those of you that uh, know the second half of Proverbs 31 describes the Shunammite woman. And in fact, the Shunammite woman is often used in thinking about the Proverbs 31 woman, right? In that she is that kind of woman. A woman like Denine Stauffer, right, that has it all going, right? And, and listen, just one note, a, a parenthesis of sort, that, that, that while we celebrate singleness at Covenant Church, which we, we do, right, we, we should not be in the uh, habit of telling single people, when are you getting married? We should celebrate singleness, right? Everybody with me? Celebrate singleness? Uh, but guys, if you're looking for a list for a great woman, here she is, right? The Shunammite woman is one that you want to look at. We see this woman, and many in the reality of this text see the woman and, and, and make the application to this text that, hey, we should all be more like this woman, which isn't a bad application, 
But it gets to be a bad application when you fast forward to the end of the text and you say, if you are this great woman, then you'll get whatever you want. That goes bad places. And I don't think it's the point of the text. So while it is good to be a great woman or a great man, I want you to see next that this great woman has a greater problem. She has a greater problem. In, in an effort to still serve this woman in some way, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, notices what? That while she is content, while she is hospitable, while, while she has all these things going for her, she has no son. And he makes a special note that she's married to an old geezer and so has no hope of ever having a son, right? Somebody's going to draw an old geezer right there, right? All right, so there, she, she, she is married to an old man, the, the author says, and the reality is, is that she has no hope. So we don't know what her age is, but because of her marital status to the old geezer, she's not going to have a child. And he says, hey, maybe we could do something about that. So they call the woman back, and they make this announcement to her that in a year, she will have a son. Great news, right? I mean, do, do you really uh, get how great that news is? This woman has lived a long time. And in her day, uh, the reality is, is that it's a great curse not to be able to have children. To be barren was something that would be looked upon you as disdain. And so she's lived in that shame. She's lived in that embarrassment. She has lived under that perception and so you would think right that as elisha says to her the one thing you don't have a son you're going to have that there would be fist bumps and shouts of hallelujah that there would be excitement and joy but that's not her response is it her response is not that of a woman who gets good news her response is no no my Lord, oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. Why that response? Well, there's an obvious pain, right, associated with being unable to have children. There's the monthly reminders of being barren that turn into years of disappointment. Here we have a great woman whose prayers have been seemingly unanswered. There have been well-meaning people from her region day in and day out that come and share the story of Sarah, of Rebecca, of Rachel, of Hannah. Time and time again, they share those stories, and yet it only adds more shame and guilt to her story. And she couldn't take another disappointment especially from one whom she knew was the man of God. You see, probably this Shunammite woman had stopped asking for a child. She may have even stopped dreaming of a child. She may have even convinced herself that she no longer wanted a child. And the promise of a child brought a discontentment that had no room in her life 
of contentment. So she says, no, my Lord, oh my God, do not lie to your servants. This was her greater problem. A problem that had been stuffed down and seemingly forgotten, but now rocketed to the surface when the promise came. And her response then is not so surprising because she could not take the risk of being disappointed again. So she asks that if it would not, that it would not be so. A thought about the Sunanite woman, one who is and has a very holy contentedness But if she's honest, she is still lacking hope in an area of her life. A lot of contentedness. I'm good with my own people. I'm okay. But hiding, stuffed down the reality that she no longer has hope for a child. You ever been there? When you want something so badly and you pray 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 and it seems unanswered to the point in which you begin to think, ah, I just need to put this away and be content with the things that I have. I don't know that any of you outside of my brother and sister-in-law have met my dad. He passed about 12 years ago. But as I thought about this in my own life, there are lots of personal places that some that I would share with you publicly and some that I won't. Here's one that I will. I I remember, so to know my dad is to know of a great, content, godly man. Uh, An amazing man, but a man that probably as long as I could remember had some disability of constant pain, even to the point in which he was uh, confined to a wheelchair, confined to a bed, and walked through a lot of uh, physical realities uh, because of uh, arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis in his, pain, in his back and in his hips and, and all of these things that, that he just was, he just got worse and worse and worse and, and confined more and more uh, to a place that just wasn't what he desired. And we prayed for him, Right? We prayed that God would heal him, prayed that God would heal him, prayed that God would heal him, prayed that God would heal him. And then God didn't heal him, God didn't heal him, God didn't heal him. And I can remember, here's the point, specific times in my life where I would kind of be awoken to the fact that I had stopped praying for his healing. And there was conviction and confession, and then there was an argument with myself. You you know where I was, right? Many of you know that place. The place where the Shunammite woman is. It it makes me mindful of the man who said in Mark 9, I believe, but help my unbelief. So if you you 
go to the story, right? It's in, in Mark chapter 9. It'll be on the screen. Uh, but in Mark chapter 9, you have the Mount of Transfiguration. So the disciples have gone to the mountain with Jesus. They've seen all of his glory. When they come back down, the disciples are having a hard time because they prayed for a young boy that has been possessed with a demon that has thrown him into fires and all kinds of things. And they've not been able to get the demon to come out. And so when Jesus shows up, this man has a conversation with Jesus. He has, and it's often cast him, this demon, into fire, into water to destroy him. And then listen to what he says. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Did you hear it? There's the Shunammite woman. Like, this guy's been going, I'm praying for this kid. I'm praying for this kid. It's not happening. It's not happening. Finally, Jesus is in front of him. And he goes to Jesus. I want you to hear the depth of this. If you can. <laughs> and Jesus says to him, if I can, <laughs> I'm Jesus, for goodness sake. All things are possible for one who believes. And I love here in Mark the use of the word immediately. I wish I could respond more like him. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, Oh, I believe. <laughs> I believe you can. But would you, what, help my unbelief? <laughs> it's a picture of this Shunammite woman. She believed! She knew this was a man of God. But that one thing, that one thing, ah, help my unbelief. Church people, I'll just tell you straight up, you know I like to be honest with you, we're bad at this. Aren't we? Getting so settled in our holy contentedness that we stuff things that God might want to do miracles in. <laughs> And, and I'll be honest, that a lot of times it's the preacher's fault. I'll confess. We stress so much the challenge of being content in our life in Christ. That's what you hear from us. Be content. I know it's miserable. Be content. Our counseling is always this. Be content. Think about what you got. Put a smile on your face, right? The reality is, is be content. That sometimes our counsel helps you to stuff the things that you're discontented about. We need to challenge one another to not be so satisfied that we look past the things that God wants to do miracles in. Another text that came to mind that is uh, one that you know well, how many of you have a um, Jeremiah 2911 plaque in your house? Some of you. Some of you have memorized it. You know it, right? And, and that's good. I'm, I'm all for you having Jeremiah 29. 11 plaques in your house, but you, you need to hear the bigger story and, and hear the Shunammite woman in this story, right? So here's the situation. The people of Israel, the people of God have been exiled. Jeremiah, as a prophet, has this wonderful job of telling them, yeah, this is because of your sin, and, you know, suck it up, dude, right? That, that's basically what, what, what it is. And, and he says this, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is Jeremiah speaking to the people, the God of Israel. To all the exiles, listen, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says this, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sins, sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters, that they might multiply there and do not decrease. Even seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Here's, here's Jeremiah. Be content. <laughs> Buy land. Plant gardens. You're going to be here a while. Let your kids marry. Don't listen to those guys who are telling you that tomorrow you're going back to the promised land because they're lying to you. But he doesn't let them stay in that place, does he? He makes a promise. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are concluded for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back. I'm going to restore you to this place. For I, here it is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. We like prosper better and not for evil. To give you a future and a what? A hope. Listen, you, you, sometimes we got to find contentment in the struggle, but never so much so that we ignore the miracle of God. To be discontent with being in a land that is not our own. To being discontent in a sin that keeps us from God. To be discontent in a promise uh, that, that we're not praying for. Because God says, I'm with you. I want to do great things in you. Because God, listen, is always up to something. Even in, maybe especially in, the things that bring discontent. Which brings us back to our story. Even in the women's negative response, her response of fear, the promise of God comes true. And this woman with an old husband gets pregnant and has a son. She may have been a great woman with a greater problem, but hear this final point. She has the greatest promise-keeping God. We're not told much about how this communication works out. Had Elisha sought the face of God in order to give this promise? Does he have the authority as a prophet to make such promises? But we do know this. The picture of this woman's conception is not focused on the power of Elisha, but the promise of God. Elisha is a messenger of God, that God is doing a new thing, that God intends to restore his people. So his promise to this woman of a miraculous conception is not limited just to her story. It is a sign to a people of exile that miraculous new birth is coming and a return to their country is forthcoming. And listen, how appropriate today to be at communion because ultimately... His promise of a baby and his keeping of the promise points us to this table. You see, we have a greater problem. It's our sin. But he's given a greater promise that is Jesus. There is one who has come, people of God, who will give new and miraculous birth to our sinful hearts. And... Revelation 21.5, there is one coming who sits on his throne and says, Behold, I am making all things new. So let's start the application of this story and the greatness of God at this table. A reminder for many of you, maybe a call to some of you. Uh, there are a lot of people 
maybe in this room, maybe streaming today, that live thinking they are great people. They are kind. They're compassionate. They're hospitable. They're gracious. They're good to their spouse. And and they're even content with their lot in life. But even though they are great people, they still have a greater problem because they're so dependent on their greatness getting them to heaven that they've missed the truth of Jesus. So that's you this morning. If you're in this ever-possessed process of being good enough, I've got bad news and good news. You'll never be good enough. But because of Christ, you are. Because it is Christ that has taken on your sin, your shortcomings, your failures. It is Christ who has done this. It is Christ who has come and sat in your place that you might have new life. A new birth that has the result of heaven forever. We'll sing in a bit. Who, O Lord, could save themselves? Like your own soul you could heal? Our shame was deeper than the sea, but your grace, God, is deeper still because it's you alone that can rescue. It's you alone that can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Listen, if you are here this morning, not sure that you trust Jesus as Lord and as Savior, as one who has come to save you, to give you new birth, then this morning, this day is a day that you need to write down, February 7th, because it's true and trustworthy that Christ is enough and that he's died for you and that he's risen for you. And it's why we run to this table to remember that truth. But there are a lot of church people who know that. They know that their greatness is in knowing that Jesus died and rose for them. They too are kind, hospitable, gracious. Their actions actually meet their belief. But like this Shunammite woman, there lies maybe with you beneath the surface an issue that you have buried for years. And you have stopped hoping. Maybe even stopped believing that God was up to something. I am hoping for some holy discontent in you this morning. I, I don't know what that might be in your personal lives. I, I don't know if that's a, a family member who you're not sure who is saved that you've prayed for for years. I'm not sure if that's a a struggle from your past that has been difficult to overcome. I'm not sure if that's a a pain that somehow you've just been uh, unaware and unable to bring to the surface to allow anyone to touch. I don't know what that is for you. But I'm praying by the Spirit of God that the Spirit of God would allow that come to the surface today that, that you might not say, no, but that you might say yes to a God who wants to address the very buried things of our lives. I don't know what that is in your personal life, but I'd like to end with thinking about some things for our corporate life. 
for Covenant Church. Do you know, church, that God is up to something here? God is up to something in Covenant Church. He, he has brought you here for such a time as this. For some of you, he has kept you here <laughs> through a long season, right? For such a time as this. For some of you, he's, he's brought you back to here for such a time as this. I know this to be true, that he's brought my wife and I here for such a time as this. He's brought Bethany and Matthew Geary here for such a time as this. I wish we always had the time to tell the stories of how crazy it is that we're here. But we are here for such a time as this. He is brought, he, he's up to something. Can we believe together that we have indeed been called out as his people to be sent with one another for the sake of the world? Can we believe that? Can we believe together that we as a church will be a messenger of hope to the city of Sharon, to the Shenango Valley, a church that will be on mission together? Can we believe together that we will be a church that journeys with one another to know Jesus more and doing that as a family that we will once again attract families to journey with us? That he's up to something like that? Can we believe together that our worship, both in this building and outside these walls, in all of life, will be a testament to the power of God and be the very thing that draws hurting people to the greatness of our God? I'm telling you, this story today, a story of great people with a greater problem, this story today tells me we can. We can believe those things. We can believe miracles, that God's spirit is flowing. Yeah, even in Sharon, PA, to do his will for his glory, for revival and renewal in his church, that lost people would know Jesus. But we got to seek it out. We got to let it rise. We got to surrender it and trust in the greatness of God. A God who has promised to restore. A God who sits on his throne today saying, I am making all things new. This table today is an opportunity to bring the greater problems and again submit them to Jesus. Can we know today that God is up to something? That he sits on his throne to declare in your life, in the life of Covenant Church, that he is making all things new. That he says, write down February 7th as the day it started because he says it is trustworthy and true. Today, may we run to this table and may we indeed be content in what we know about the love of God. But may it allow as well a holy discontent with the things that still are not right. And trust him, a greater God, to do a miracle in us for his glory.